Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. I've entitled the sermon, Pressing Toward Maturity. Pressing Toward Maturity. There's an old saying in preaching that when a preacher gets a little too personal, when he leaves the, 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 the bland generalities and he starts to get into the particular sins of the people, his own sin and the sins of the people, he commences to meddling. He's no longer preaching. Now he's meddling. He's going where no man dare, into the Libreth, into the darkness that is the human heart seeking to bring the medicine of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only person, the only thing that can heal a sinful heart. Well, as we move from the end of chapter 5 into chapter 6, the preacher has been preaching, but now he's gone into meddling. Meddling all out of love and pastoral concern for the people he's addressing. Here at the end of chapter 5 into 6, the writer begins with this third major exhortation of the letter. The first occurred in Hebrews chapter 2, where after reminding the congregation there the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one in whom God has spoken in these last days, that he's superior to angels, he comes and follows that instruction with this exhortation. We need to pay careful attention to what we heard lest we drift away, right? Lest we fall away from this God who's disclosed himself in Jesus Christ. That was the first exhortation. The second major exhortation came at the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4 with emphasis on Psalm 95 as we read this morning. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, right? We've said this over and over. I'm going to continue to repeat it. Not as God has only said, he's saying, he's speaking in the word of God today. He's the God who confronts his people, who comes to his people, who engages his people today. (laughs) Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Give heed to what you hear, right? Take care, lest there be in any of you a a wicked, unbelieving heart leading you to, to fall away from the living God. Yeah, professing believers can fall away from the living God. The imperative word there is professing. Because they never possessed. They only professed, but didn't possess. And were not possessed by the living God. In Hebrews 5, the the preacher began to instruct them regarding the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But no sooner... Does he begin explaining Christ as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, that mysterious figure from Genesis 14? He he wants to elaborate. He's like a father longing for his children to understand. But before he can explain, he's got to stop. You see, the folks there aren't mature enough to understand it. They're dull. They're lazy. They're sluggardly, if that's such a word. They've grown dull. They're immature. They're infants. You can't give solid food to an infant, right? Their growth and grace is stalled. They've become sluggish, dull of hearing. 
They have ears, but they're not listening. They hear the words. It's just like you're sitting there and you're hearing the words out of my mouth. They're going through my larynx, right? I'm speaking words. You're hearing words. But are you listening? You see, the church there has heard the words and they're hearing the words, but they're not listening. They have ears, but they're not using them. Saints, these professing believers began well, but now they're in danger of falling away because of persecution. Because they're being ostracized in the culture. They're being marginalized. They no longer have the the social capital that they once had in the culture. In the 1950s, we used to have that. We don't have that today. That train left the station. We're now marginalized. We're scorned. We're rejected. Blessed are you when you suffer for the name of Christ. God says in 1 Peter that the Spirit of God rests on you. Isn't that amazing? If you want to find out where the Spirit is, find out where the child of God is suffering for the gospel. Kenya, Nigeria, North Korea, Sudan, Short Pump, Mechanicsville, suffering for the name, being ostracized for the name, being thought less of for the name. There you will find the Spirit of God. But you see, the preacher wants the best for these folks. He, he wants them to keep their eyes on the prize, Jesus Christ himself. It's been said that spiritual growth is likened to riding a bicycle. As soon as you stop riding and stop pedaling, what happens? If you just sit there, what happens? You fall over because you're not moving forward. These folks here are in spiritual danger of falling away. They're not moving forward. You see, the preacher wants to give the children meat, but they can't handle it. They can't handle the meat of Christ's priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek. He he wants to expand. He, He wants to take them to the deep blue water of the things of God. He wants them to grow up becoming more childlike in their dependence and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But these folks, someone needs to put the training wheels back on their bikes. They began so well. Early on, they were reading their Bible. Remember that romance when you first came to Christ? Particularly if you came out of the world like I did. There was this great juxtaposition of what I was before Christ and what I am now in Christ. The chasm was great. Existentially, I knew that I was a sinner, hell-bound. And then God set his hand on me. He called me out of darkness, and he, he placed me in his son. It was a light switch. The lights were off, and now they're on, right? These folks began well, but... Now they're regressing, no longer progressing. By this time, they ought to be teachers, but they have not mastered the ABCs yet of the Christian faith. And while this exhortation is short, it's incredibly intense. The preacher now is meddling. It's meddling that's justified because the preacher loves the people. He loves them. 
he knows if he's not a faithful watchman on God's wall, that God's going to call him to account because their blood will be on his hand. That's how serious it is. So he comes lovingly, pastorally, to rebuke them. He calls them dull, lazy, sluggards. When's the last time I called you dull, lazy, or sluggards? Let's read God's Word with ears. Kids, we all have ears. If you have ears, raise your hand if you're under 10. You all have ears? Yeah, let's use them. Let's cut them on. Let's listen to God's Word. It's the most important word you're going to hear all week. Let's start in verse 1, chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men, it's appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, that is the flesh of Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, his father, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, being made perfect, that is, being made complete. As a high priest, he became the source of, of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now he wants to expand on this, this priesthood of Melchizedek and how Jesus fulfills this order. But notice what he does in verse 11. About this, the antecedent is what he's just said about Christ as high priest. About this ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you had become dull, lazy, sluggish of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the, the basic principles, the beginning principles of the oracles or words of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child or an infant. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. The, the ABCs, the, the basic principles of Christ. And, and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings or baptisms, the laying on of hands, the, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Thus far, 
the reading of God's eternal word. Let's lock down and hear what the Spirit is saying. Let's pray for the preaching. We want to hear from God. We've heard from God in His Word. Now we want the illumination to understand what He's revealed. Let's pray and ask Him. Our Father, we pray and ask that You would give us Your Spirit to hear what the Spirit is speaking in the Word through the preacher there in Hebrews. Lord, that we would not just learn more data, but we would be transformed by this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as we look upon Him so we are changed from one degree of glory to the next, that we would not be those who are dull, lazy, and slow of heart, but we are those who work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is you who work to will within us. We pray and ask that you would increase, that I would decrease. You would bless the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth. We pray this in the name of our high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's look at this text under two simple headings. A sober warning, sober warning, and a hopeful encouragement. You could close out chapter 5 looking at the sober warning and then commence chapter 6 with a hopeful encouragement. So first, a sober warning. Let's step back and just understand this. God uses warnings. He uses warnings to perfect his people, to grow his people up, to mature his people in Jesus Christ. But as you read the text, as I read the text, could you not almost hear the sigh and the godly frustration, as it were, in a father's heart, as he, as he longs for his children to listen to him? Right? You've got your 13-year-old, and you're looking at him, you're you're sitting them down, you're getting eye to eye, and you're like, listen to me, son. Listen to me. i got something really important to tell you, but I can't tell you because you're not able. You're not mature enough to understand what I'm saying. we got to go back to the ABCs. we got to go back to the elementary basic principles. You're acting like a four-year-old. You're not acting like a 13-year-old young man. You see, this is what he's doing here. Let me paraphrase for you what, what I'm trying to say in case I'm not clear. About the Lord Jesus as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, I have so much I want to explain to you. I, I want to explain it to you, but it's, it's hard because you have become dull of hearing. Both your mind and your hearts are in no place to receive God's instructions about such matters. Since these professing believers had begun to drift, rather than moving forward, they began to move backward. For every step forward they were taking, they were taking three backwards. So they're losing two steps with every step. They were spiritually immature. They were children still living off of milk. They were incapable of digesting the, the meat of the word. That is the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there are a host of reasons people don't understand particular truth of the Bible, but biblical truth at particular times in life, right? The, the subject's just too deep. 
right? You need to learn some grammar before you go to the logic so you can lead to the rhetoric, right? To the trivium, to use that as an example. Could be the scarcity of revelation. This is a matter we dealt with in Sunday school. Excellent Sunday school. If you're not in Sunday school, you're missing. You need to be there at 930. Faithful men opening the word of God, expounding the truth of God, what God has revealed. Speaking no more and no less than what God has revealed. Could be a scarcity of revelation, right? That's one of the reasons people don't understand, right? God hasn't spoken to this matter. It's possible also that the teacher himself is limited. The problem might not be you, it might be me. It could be the spokesperson, could be the teacher, the preacher. The reason you don't understand. Here in chapter 5, the problem was what? They're dull. They're dull. They're asleep at the wheel. It's not a matter of being intellectually incapable, nor is it because they're new converts. Verse 12 tells us by this time they ought to be teachers. Right? They had the chronology. They had the age. Right? They were old enough in Christ. No, their problem was not intellectual or physical. Their problem was with their heart. They had ears. They could hear what the preacher's saying, just as you hear my voice. Their problem was what, that they were not embracing the truth of what they were hearing. They didn't prize it. They didn't treasure it. They had sleepy eyes. Like some of you this morning, you're sitting there, and I'm seeing your eyes, and they're heavy because you stayed up too late last night. Hopefully none of you are drooling like I did in third grade, second grade, the desk, you wake up, drool coming down your mouth, right? They're asleep, though. They're lethargic. They're tepid. They're, they're lukewarm. What's worse than a lukewarm Christian? Not many things. They had ears. They could hear but they were not listening. They didn't prize and treasure the gospel. They no longer cherished Jesus. The wildness of the gospel no longer captured their heart. They'd grown bored with God, bored with the Bible. Preaching would just drone on, wah, 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 wah. Charlie Brown, right? You're just falling asleep, not engaged, you're bored. What's for dinner, man? This guy's going long, man. Shouldn't we get to, to lunch? Their problem was a heart problem. They were listening to the Word of God, much like many of us listen to the stewardess when we fly, right? I said this, used this example a few weeks ago, right? I flew, in, flew uh, to, uh, where did we go? Memphis. Yeah, Mr. Pender and Mr. Hutton and I went to Memphis. And, you know... Um, I'm not opposed to sitting near the exit, the emergency exits, if necessary. I'll do what's necessary. God willing, God giving me grace, I'll, I'll give my and help someone else if I had. But most of the time, the steward is, is speaking, right? The mass is going to drop, put your seatbelts on, yeah, I got it, yeah, whatever, whatever. That's the way some of us listen to sermons. That's the way some of us maybe this morning are listening to me. Kind of like white noise on the elevator, elevator music playing in the background, 
Name that hit. It's interesting when you get on the elevator with people who can actually start singing. I find that fascinating. Biblically speaking, though, now, I want you to understand this. Biblically speaking, you have not heard the word of God until you obey the word of God. Write that down. You've not heard the word of God until you obey it. The word, the etymology of the word, both in the Greek and the Hebrew, the word to hear and obey, they're very close. Why is that? Because God cares about it. He, he wants you to know that you have not heard him until you start to obey him. Maybe that means just, just believing him. God said it. That settles it. Luke eleven twenty eight. a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus as he was teaching, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I don't care how much you know. Are you obeying what you know? You talk a good game, pastor. Do you live it out? What does the preacher mean by this word dull? Spiritually, they were lazy. They were inattentive. inattentive. The same word is translated as sluggish in chapter 6, verse 12. They had become uninterested and bored with the word. They were uninterested of the cross. Oh, I've heard that story. I've heard the story of, of God's wrath and propitiation and the blood and yada, yada, and the resurrection. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it all my life. I grew up hearing it. My dad's been teaching me that since I, I can't remember a day when he wasn't teaching me these things. But they had become uninterested. They're no longer actively listening with the desire to obey what they heard. What they heard. They're no longer actively studying and hiding the Word of God in their hearts as, as something to be trusted. The Word of God is no longer the North Star in their life. <laughs> they're doing life. Yeah, they come to church. Right? They listen to the sermon. Uh, I don't know. Are they listening? The Bible has no relevance, has no traction. There's no, there's no fle enfleshment of the Word Monday through Saturday. It's just whatever. Right? It's nominalism. It's, they lack discernment. And these folks were a little more than spiritual infants. Right? Who cannot stomach the meat of the word. They were resigned to milk. Verse 13, they were unskilled in the word of righteousness. You see, they, had, they didn't have the ability to discern right and wrong. Right? They knew the ten words that God revealed in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. They could recite the ten commandments, but they didn't know how to apply the ten commandments to the various circumstances of life, to the myriad and varied ways that life presents to us every day. Like, how does God's word regarding telling the truth relate to this area or not lying relate to that area? They were no longer taking captive every thought to the obedience of God. They no longer spent their money in obedience to God. They no longer educated their children in obedience to God. They no longer worked in their vocations in obedience to God. They no longer looked at Netflix in obedience to God. They, they no longer valued the things that God valued. They no longer loved what God loved. They no longer hated what God hated. They were just bumps on a log. They were dull. They were sluggish. They were lazy. Uninterested. 
They lack discernment. Right? Kids, you remember this when you were four. Remember that when you were four? Some of you are four. Remember when you get that first bike? Man, I remember my Red Rider. Swin. I love that bike. Seminary Avenue, riding down the sidewalks. I love sidewalks in a neighborhood. I love Northside for that very reason. I can remember getting on that bicycle. My brother going out and showing me how to ride it, but it had to have training wheels on it at first, right? Dad typically does this, but my dad passed when I was four. I didn't have that, that joy of that, but that was God's providence, and that's all for God's glory and my good. But nonetheless, Dad goes out and he helps the child. He dares not take those training wheels off until that child has mastered the skill of riding that bike. And eventually they do ride. Now, if you were to go back to that house with that four-year-old, and they're now 21 years old, and they're still on training wheels, Houston, we got a problem. We got a problem. They got a problem. The Hebrew Christians that the preacher's speaking to are still on training wheels. The preacher's telling them, folks, it's time to grow up. It's time to move beyond the basic principles of the word. 6.1 calls them the elementary doctrine of Christ. They're to start sinking their spiritual teeth into the meat of God's word. You see, you don't leave the basics. He's not saying that the basics are not important. You've got to know the grammar before you can get to the rhetoric, before you can get to, I mean, the logic before you can get to the rhetoric, right? We all know that, right? They're A, B, C's. You have to know A before you can go B, and A and B before C, right? He's not saying leave that behind. He's saying build on that. That's the foundation from which the edifice goes upward. Right? Build on that. Build on your faith. So second, a hopeful encouragement. Notice that the preacher doesn't leave them with this warning. He encourages them as well. He tells us in verse 14 that what is needed is training. The Greek word here for training or to train is the, is the word from which we get our word gym. What do you do at a gym? You work out, you train, right? Training that comes from constant practice in learning how to discern between good and evil, truth and error. Now, saints, this will not happen, this training, this constant practice without effort. As we used to say in, uh, in high school, it doesn't happen by osmosis, right? It's not organic, it's not involuntary. No, it has to be, you have to purpose you have to put forth the effort to grow up. The only way this happens is by presenting ourselves as living sacrifices in view of God's mercies. Right? Not being conformed to the world. You see, church, we're always being catechized. We're always being shaped by the circumstances around us. Either we're being shaped by the Word of God... Faithful men, faithful women, other boys and girls who are encouraging us to do the right thing, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, or we're being catechized by Prime, Amazon, or Hulu, or Netflix, or Washington, or Wall Street, or BlackRock, or cryptocurrency. We're always being catechized. Something's always battling for the affection of your heart. Because your heart is the battlefield, and the enemy knows this. 
Where are your affections? What do you love? What do you prize? What do you treasure? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Is it on the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it that treasure in the field that you went home and you were willing to sell all to have it? And you did. And for the joy you went and rejoiced and you told everyone around you about the joy that I, a beggar, starving for bread, found bread, and I can tell you where you can find it too. But I was thirsty. I was existentially empty. But I'm going to tell you where I've been made full. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you the old, old story. Right? Because it lives right there. It's not just theoretical. It's not just nominal. It's not just intellectual mastery. It's affected me. Like my wife when I first saw her. Within a day I knew that was the woman I was going to marry. That's what Jesus does. He comes and he woos your heart. He loves your heart. He captures you with his beauty. He captures you with his goodness and his truth. You see. But these folks are missing it. But when you lay yourself on God's altar and you start to be transformed by the renewing of your word, of his word, right? You start to have different affections. You start to think differently about finance, about education, about politics, or whatever it is. Because Jesus is now Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You're not entertained by the vain imaginations and the philosophies of men. Right? You're skilled in righteousness. You're able to discern good and evil. Isn't it interesting here that the Holy Spirit defines the spiritually mature as those who have a hunger and a thirst for the solid food of God's Word? Those who possess the powers of discernment. They can recognize evil for what it is, and they flee from it. But simultaneously, they can also recognize righteousness and go, I want that. (laughs) That's what I want. I don't want that, but I want this. They have discernment because they're human beings. They've been made in God's image, and now they're being remade in God's image in Jesus Christ, the last Adam. They start to think like God, have God's thoughts. You see, what the preacher is talking about is not just intellectual mastery of the subject. What he and the power of the Holy Spirit is talking about is possessing wisdom. The spiritually mature person is the wise person. This is the Christian man, woman, boy, or girl who skillfully lives God's way in God's word, in God's world, living by God's word, right? They know how to live. They're wise. This is the person who not only has the knowledge of God's word, but also has the ability and the discernment to apply it to the myriad of everyday circumstances. This is the person described in Proverbs 2. This is the person who received God's word, treasures God's word, makes their ears attentive to wisdom, inclines their hearts to understanding. Yes, they call to their heavenly father in the deep watches of the night for insight. They wake up at 3 a.m. in the night and they go, God, I need you. I need wisdom in this area. I need skill for living in this area. I need help in this area, oh God. They raise their voice for understanding. They seek wisdom as for silver, searching for it as for hidden treasures. This is the young person from Psalm 1 who is not busying themselves walking in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. Beloved, the mature Christian delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. This is the person who's skilled in the word of righteousness. They're trained in how to make God-honoring decisions on matters the Bible doesn't speak directly to. And there are hosts, there are myriads of matters that we need wisdom on. Right? Let me give you some example. What should I put before my eyes? First, before you say my eyes, no, they're not your eyes. I've been bought. I've been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb. They're not my eyes. They're his eyes. He's called me to steward. What am I to put before them? What vocation should I pursue? Who should I hang with? This is the Christian parent who's asking, how should I train up my child in the way they should go? Dr. Phil? Is that who you're looking to? How about Solomon? The book of Proverbs. How about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? This is the older person who wakes up every morning thanking God for another day. Jesus, give me grace to finish today and to finish well. I have more years behind me than I have ahead of me. By grace, empower me, enable me to live for you. This is the young person who gives thought to what is modest and appropriate for a Christian to wear in the summer. This is a young girl who loves Jesus, who leaves the house that afternoon mindful of what am I revealing? What am I speaking to? What am I testifying to about my Lord? Am I putting a stumbling stone before other young men? This is the mature young man who who knows that something might be permissible as a Christian. It might be in the liberty of Jesus to be enjoyed. But he also knows this. This is what the wise young man knows. He also knows this. Now listen to this, church. He knows it's permissible. He can do it in the liberty of Jesus. But he also knows this. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's profitable. You see the difference? He dares not put a stumbling stone before his brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Just because he can do it doesn't mean he does. He doesn't flaunt his liberty because he understands his liberty has been given to him by his Savior to be used for the Savior's glory and for the good of others. Oh, to understand liberty that way, beloved. That's the mature person. That's the mature young man. That's the mature young woman who understands what true Christian liberty is about. Nothing that would cause another to sin and bring shame to their Lord who loved them and bought them. So, if that's the mature person, I want some of that maturity. Where do I go to get it? How do I get it? I got five ways. Very quickly, I'm going to give them to you. Five things, right? You want something to do? Do it in the power of the gospel. Do it under the shadow of the cross. Here are five things you can do. First, before you can read, you have to master the alphabet, the ABCs, the basic principles of God's Word. 
Again, the problem is not with beginning with the basics. The problem is not progressing and building upon the basics. If you're building a house, you don't stop with the foundation, right? Once the foundation's laid, you don't just stop there. No, you go and you frame the house. You put the drywall up. You put the plumbing in. You put the electricity in. Eventually, you put the roof over. You paint the walls, and you say, Mama, come home. I built this house for you. What are the basic principles? Notice what he calls them. He gives us some of them. He gives us six in three pairs in verses 1 and 2. The elementary doctrine of Christ. The first pair, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. You've got to begin with repentance, right? What did Jesus come preaching? What was the first word out of his mouth? The very first word. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You've got to repent. You've got to entrust yourself to Jesus of Nazareth. You've got to... Wean off, kill self-reliance, and look to Jesus Christ. Both of these, right, repentance and faith, are two sides of the same coin of conversion. Both mark the beginning. But notice what he says. Secondly, and these, there's a lot of ink and discussion. I won't say a lot now, but notice what he says. Elementary principles... Instruction about washings or, or baptisms and the layings on of hands. Again, these are early on in, in the life of the Christian, right? You're, you're baptized into union with Jesus Christ. Right? The laying on of hands was symbolic of receiving the Holy Spirit, being set apart for ordination and installation into church office, right? In the book of Acts, we see there's a lot of confusion regarding this and maybe he's speaking about that here. They need to move beyond this, right? They, they need to understand it, yes, but they need to build upon it. And then he gives this last pair, the, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Again, this kind of brings up the caboose of conversion, right? They understand that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for their justification. That all of history is moving to resurrection day. When every man, woman, child, boy, girl will be judged by this raised Jesus Christ. He's going to judge every person in all of human history. Now while these things directly related to the eschaton, when Christ returns, right? The resurrection and eternal judgment. Well, but it's not that these things aren't important, but it's just the beginning. We must build upon them, right? You're five years old. You're in kindergarten, you're learning your ABCs, right? You're on your way to reading. You're 15 years old now. Ten years later, you're going into the 10th grade. And I come into your class, and the teacher is still teaching you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. To be stagnant, to not progress, is to regress. And they're in danger of falling away. He's stirring them up. He's pleading with them because he loves them. He's warding them. He's going to go on to tell us that those who have once tasted of the age to come, who've had an experience of the Holy Spirit, who fall away, it's impossible to bring them back into repentance. Apostasy is real. Apostasy is a real thing. It happens. P. 
People begin well, but they do not continue because they were never really part and possessed by Jesus Christ. Secondly, crave the milk of the word. Now, that might sound a little confusing. I just said you need more than milk, but you don't need less than milk, right? 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babes, crave the spiritual milk so that you can grow up into your salvation. You see, let the milk of the word of God do its work, but don't stop there. Build upon it, right? God has more for you. That's why God gives infants teeth, right? I was noticing a little child last week in the congregation, an infant, probably about nine months old. She had two little teeth. They're very cute teeth. Those teeth portend that one day she's going to be able to take meat, and she's going to be able to eat it and consume it. She won't need milk as much anymore. She's being weaned off of milk onto solid food. Church, the writer here wants the church to develop an appetite for solid food, to be discerning, to be able to understand the word of righteousness, to know how to live a godly life in God's way, in God's world, to have true wisdom. Third, take Proverbs 2 at faith value, at face value. Begin to cry aloud for wisdom. When's the last time you sought wisdom as for silver? Have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever sought wisdom like it was oxygen? Let me keep oxygen from you from about six minutes. Let's see how you're doing. I'll check in about 550, see how you're doing. That's how important it is. Hold God to his word. Take Proverbs 2, young person. Say, God, you say, if I seek you as for silver and I search for you as for gold, I shall find you. I'm going to hold you to that word. You're not a man that you should lie. I believe your word by grace, and I'm going to hold you to it. And you watch and see what happens. You know what's going to happen? God's going to open the floodgates of heaven. He's going to lavish you with wisdom. You'll no longer be a divided-hearted person, unstable in all your ways, right? One foot on the boat, one foot on the pier, and the boat's leaving. What's going to happen? What happens? Somebody's going to get wet. Unstable. Read good books. Read Christian biography. I'm reading a great book by Ian Murray called Heroes. George Whitfield, Newton. Wilberforce, great men of the faith. Read good Christian biography. Hang out with those who are hungry and thirsting after God. Run with dogs who want to hunt the things of God. Get off the porch, Christian, and start pursuing eternal things, things that are unseen yet eternal. Begin again to hide God's word in your heart. Remember you used to hide God's word in your heart? Remember you used to do that when you were first converted? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You don't do that anymore. Oh, I've been there, done that. Got the bumper sticker, T-shirt. I'm tired. This pastor's running long. Get over. Pray the Psalms. You know, I, I can't, exp- I, if I had one thing to say to you, that's what I would say today. Begin to pray the Psalter. Take the words of David, the words of the Holy Spirit that gave to David, and start to pray them back to God. Fourth, don't 
forsake the assembling yourselves together under the means of grace. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Don't let the worldling's pleasure steal the everlasting joys of worshiping with God's people. Don't cuddle sin. If you've got problems with internet pornography, you need to unplug the computer today. Today. Better yesterday. You need to take a hammer to that computer. You need to kill sin. Confess it. Share your burdens with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't be too proud to ask for prayer. I've been too proud in my life to ask for prayer as a preacher. You think, oh, pastor, you just get up there and you're just skilled. You learn Hebrew. You learn Greek. You can just come and one, two, three, A, B, C, D, F, you know, whatever. You can just pray. No, no, no. You need to pray. You need to pray for me. Pray. Not so that I will receive the blessing. Rather that I will be a blessing. That the words of my mouth would be a blessing to you. That your hearts would receive them. And then fifthly, lastly, ask yourself, are my ears too heavy? What do I mean by that? Isaiah 6, 9. Isaiah speaks of the people who have ears but don't hear. They keep on hearing but do not understand. They keep on seeing but do not perceive. Their hearts are dull, surrounded with fat, and their ears are heavy, and their eyes are blind. Are your ears heavy today? Ask yourself, am I listening well? Am I seeking those things that are eternal? Does the word of God still thrill my heart? Cry aloud to God to give you a love for his word. Oh Christ, give me more love to thee. Like the hymn writer says, Once earthly joy I crave, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. This all my prayer shall be, more love, O Lord, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. You see, beloved, and I conclude with this, a faithful preacher meddles. I wouldn't want to go to a church where the preacher is not meddling. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be your preacher if you don't want me to meddle. Because a preacher who doesn't meddle doesn't love you. He never confronts you. He never challenges you. A faithful preacher meddles not because they don't love you, but because they do. And then I have this prayer here at the bottom of my sermon. Oh, Jesus, come and meddle with me. Meddle with us that we might be comforted and confirmed to your image. Amen. And I'll finish it there. Amen. May God give us grace to be meddled with by the living God. Amen.